Welcome to Raising Nashville. I'm Bucky. Juice Box. Oh boy. And this week we want to kick it back and do an episode on Nashville. The reason being is because we live in a pretty magical, amazing place currently in the year 2020. Very dynamic city. Very dynamic. And it wasn't like this 10 years ago. It wasn't like this 20 years ago. And it, the further you go back, I mean, obviously it takes time to build a city, but, you know, we claim monikers like the It City of, you know, pretty much every year for the last five years. I don't, um, I don't claim that. But. Okay. <laughs> well, we are, according to certain publications, the It City. And like, you know, things like 2018's number one drinking city in America. And, you know, everybody knows us for certain things. We've covered this on the podcast before. Hot chicken, country music. Yeah. Opryland. Broadway. Broadway. Yeah. I mean, we're known for uh, certain things throughout the country. And we probably don't see it as much as the outside looking in because we're the inside and we just live it on a daily basis. So we just kind of assume that every other city is like this. But it's not. Um, And, you know, everybody talks about over the last couple of years how many people move to Nashville every day. You know, it was I think it was up to 103 at one point. Now it's down to the high 80s. So we're kind of leveling off there. With that being said, I meet so many people on a daily basis who come to Nashville and say things like, you know, I'm from here, even though they've only lived here for about a decade. Yeah, I would never have the audacity to do that, <laughs> just just for the record. Well, that's good. Um, but those people that do, you know, claim Nashville or people that are from Nashville, we there are things that go on with this city that you never really even know about. Or sure. absolutely, you you don't hear about them. Can I jump in real quick and sure. just start an argument? Okay. Can we just go ahead and agree that if you didn't, if you weren't born and raised in Davidson County, then you're not from Nashville. If you don't live in Davidson County, you don't live in Nashville. Can we just go ahead and put that out there? Because I'm so tired of people that live in Murfreesboro I'll be like, yeah, I live in, Mur- in Nashville. It's like, no. no, you live very far from Nashville. I could drive to Kentucky quicker than I can drive to Murfreesboro. With so. traffic, absolutely. But Sorry, I, sorry, I had to go I, off on that side rant. I completely agree with you. Yeah, um, me too. I am from Nashville, even though old boy thinks I'm from... Kentucky. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> but I am from, from Nashville. So is old boy. Yep. Um, but let me ask you this, Juicebox, since you bring that up. If you were in a city, like say that you're from Murfreesboro or you live in Murfreesboro. Uh, okay. And you're in Seattle, Washington, and you're sitting at a bar and somebody asks you where you're from. Do you say, I'm from Murfreesboro, Tennessee? Or do you say, I'm from, at that point, are you far enough away to where you can claim that you're from Nashville or you live in Nashville? Let me answer that question with a scenario of my own. Okay. Okay. I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. People around here know what Lexington, Kentucky is. If you know what UK basketball is, you probably have heard of Lexington, Kentucky. Otherwise, it's not a big city. It's grown in the past, you know, 15 or 20 years, but it wasn't a big city when I was growing up. I don't, when I go on vacation other places, I don't tell people I'm from Cincinnati, which is an hour away from Lexington, which is where Murfreesboro is away from Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you could just say I'm a, I'm about an hour outside of Nashville. Yeah. If you really need exactly. like, that, territorial reference. That is probably the accurate statement 
uh, right there. Right I live there. about an hour from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry that that always bothers me about people saying where they live and where they grew up. Like, just own it. Just be honest. It also has to do with acceptance. So I have never accepted anybody saying they're from Nashville. You know, I'm in Ubers all the time. I think I've brought this up before, where somebody says, "Oh, I'm I'm like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. Oh, really? How long have you been here?" Is the it's next question. A really thick yeah. Brooklyn accent you got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So at one point, I accepted the fact that if you were here before the flood of May of 2010, you can now somewhat say that you're a transitioning Nashvillian. Um, anything after that. Well, and, and that I can was, say you're a transplant if you've lived here for longer than 10 years. If you've here, lived here for less than 10 years, me being one of those people, you're still just kind of a visitor. You're getting close, though, right? Yeah. When is that anniversary? Uh, it's this year. Oh wow, 2020. Yeah. So we uh, we accepted Juicebox to our community <laughs> about a decade ago, and I'm very proud to say that we have you here. Um, but We're gonna throw a party. Yeah, but sweet. We should throw a party. We should throw a raising Nashville party at the Red Door <laughs> in East Nashville. Oh God! Juice boxes, tenth anniversary in the oh, back room. I love it. All right, sorry for derailing it. Right That's okay. Bat, so but. this week, what we're gonna do for all of you Nashvillians, native Nashvillians, all you transplants, and everybody who's moved here over the last few years, we wanted to provide and do kind of a fun episode about the city, and sp- more specifically. Three things that you may not know about the city of Nashville. Yeah, some hidden gems. Some very hidden gems. And there is a lot to uh, unearth here. And it's so fun to find these facts out. Because once you hear some of these things we're about to get into today, you're going to be like, holy shit. I had no idea that this was linked to the city that I live in or where I'm from. Pretty eye-opening. The three things we're about to cover today, I did not know until at least the last four years. Um, So I spent my whole life growing up in the city not knowing these things. Um, We're going to get into three things today. One, Mm -hmm. uh, that Nashville was the first uh, city in the States to legalize prostitution. Wow. Two... Jimi Hendrix actually lived here and played music here for a little while in the early 1960s. Okay. And then um, what I'm going to cover is the fact that the uh, prohibition, national prohibition, which everybody knows, can be linked to one single incident that happened in the streets of Nashville. Um, So we actually kicked off national prohibition in a way. Yeah, I'm I'm more proud of the first two. I was going to say, that's not great. Yeah, for for Nashville's, uh, what, 2018 number one drinking city in America, we've come a long way. (laughs) Right, we're trying to make up for it. Yeah, so let's let old boy get us kicked off today um, with the fact that, what did you say, prostitution started in Nashville? No, 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 Uh, prostitution started. Oldest profession. <laughs> so, uh, no, legalized prostitution. It's the first state that legalized prostitution. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Old Boy is a big fan of legalized prostitution. I did not know that. For a lot of reasons. Is One, prostitution legal right now? In Nevada. Oh, I think but like not in Reno. Nashville. Yeah, in, only in certain areas of Nevada, right? Right, certain areas. But it's it's been known, like there's studies shown that when you legalize prostitution, it drops STD rates. I also believe that a lot of these incel dudes that got women issues, if they could go out and pay for sex legally, they'd probably be uh, less uh, ragey 
And what is an incel dude? You need to. Uh, yeah, we need. Yeah, you need to look that up. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know your, if I agree with that. I don't. I think you don't that. Think so you think I women think, hatred is just. Yeah, I don't think that just getting some is going to help those dudes. That's like a beyond. You think I, so? I don't know. You've, you've got some serious pent up issues or something, right? Maybe but I'm I, wrong. But I also think like if if the only way you can get sex is to pay for it, and somebody's willing to take money for that sex, who am I? To get in the way of that, right? I'm not stuffy with that. Yeah, I can't say that I would really have a problem with that either. I don't either. We're a capitalist country, um, and that is that is pure capitalism to me. So uh, anyway, so my story kicks off in 19 or I'm sorry, 1862, Nashville. This is the height of the Civil War. Uh, Nashville's occupied by Union soldiers, and there is a Major General Rosencrantz, old Rosie. who is the second most powerful man in the union. Um, So anyway, he's in the city and Nashville is a good strategic area. And it's also very popular for its, uh, it's red light district, which is called smoky row. (laughs) Okay. We have another row in Nashville. Yeah. Smoky row. And uh, I was trying, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of time to find out exactly where smoky row was, but uh, our buddy last night, (laughs) May know where it is. Maybe somewhere off uh, South Street. Uh, wait, uh, off Fourth. What, yeah, was it? It was Fourth. Did yeah, you guys get fourth. some insider information oh, last yeah, night? Yeah, and I don't want to call anybody out, but it was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we heard a story last night while we were at a party, and it was uh, it was pretty fascinating. Really, it was like it was like uh, mid to late nineties, and and when they'd be out partying in Nashville, they'd go like they had friends that would like to go frequent this area of town there's basically uh just in air a, quotes friends yeah 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 exactly they would and, walk down apparently like lafayette and fourth and there were legalized uh brothels yeah. they weren't legalized but it was just a. It, I mean it wasn't really cracked down upon either so. this was in the 90s in the 90s yeah, yeah. i moved Which, too late lafayette yeah was was a i was too a different young area <clears throat> no nah, you weren't too young it's lafayette no lafayette man <laughs> That's so, another argument. That's a natural yeah. argument right there. Uh, anyway, so um, at that time, we had about 1,500 prostitutes, okay? And when you have 1,500 prostitutes in a real popular soldier, you know, infested area, you're going to have outbreaks of syphilis, gonorrhea, um, I guess other STDs. So it was so bad that it accounted for like 17.5% of battle injuries <laughs> were, were STDs. It was just what yeah it was rough so everybody's walking around and and you also got to remember that they didn't really have cures for stds back then we didn't have penicillin back then when was penicillin invented Uh, i think it was later than that i think it was like late 1800s wait i think or maybe turn of the century does this go back to where i think i heard a story one time maybe it was from just a co-worker somewhere down the line where if you had was it gonorrhea or syphilis you just uh you just put it out on a table and took a hammer and hit the head of it, and it just broke all of that stuff up. That yeah, was, that I think was the that's cure. that's one. Yeah, that's one way I think um, to get rid of gonorrhea, right? I guess. Yeah, I'm gonna so, take you guys' word for that. <laughs> um, but it also has to be treated with medicine, uh, you know, so the infection you fight the infection. But back in the day, they didn't really have good cures, and what they used was mercury, which is um, known today as being very toxic to. The touch, man. I mean, right. and now they're injecting it and stuff. So, I mean, that'd put people out way, you know, it's just, it's bad all over. 
I'm feeling a little weak in the groin area right now. Well, you know, wrap it up. So <laughs> what you so all right. So Rosencrantz, old Rosie's like, I gotta figure this out. So plan A. Here's his plan A. You take these prostitutes, you put them on a boat, and you ship them out of the city. Okay. All right. So that was the, much kind of like we can talk about this later. I'd always heard that during the uh, the Olympics in Atlanta that they shipped a bunch of homeless up here. I think that happens probably more, more often than we even than realize. We know. It. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, grab these people up, get them out of the damn city, and keep the soldiers clean, right? So, but were the soldiers against that, or were they for well, it? Well, I don't know. Like, man, you got, your, these, you these, got swollen. It stings. Get them out of here. So I don't. I'm not tempted. But yeah. But then on the other side, you're like, you know, I kind of like to spend my wages. So I don't know. It's hookers are there for you know for a reason. Okay. Man, can you imagine the party on that boat? Fifteen hundred <laughs> prostitutes I'll, shipped out. I'll, no, I'll get to that. That's uh, yeah, that's something else. That too. is the pontoon saloon. So, <laughs> so. All right, you get all these prostitutes on the boat. I don't know how many they actually got on the boat, but the the ordinance was grab up any prostitute on the street, get them on this boat, and we're going to take them upriver to Louisville, Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) It seems seems like a simple enough idea, right? Um, Except, and, and they rounded up, did get them on the boat and went up to Louisville, except Louisville caught wind of what they were trying to unload and were like, uh, nah, man, you need to take that shit all up to Cincinnati. But <laughs> the Cumberland River doesn't go through Louisville, Kentucky. But I'm sure it branches off. Okay. So you could go over to the, the crazy thing about that whole story is at that same time, there was a railway called the L&N Railway, and all it did was go from Louisville to Nashville and back. And they could have easily put them on a train. Just herded them like cattle. But instead, and- they send them down the Cumberland River, up the Mississippi, back down. What was the what's the river? Ohio. Oh, the Ohio. So they they over. made this huge detour. <clears throat> it probably took weeks and weeks. Probably just and with all these angry prostitutes because they they I'm, they're not happy about it, you know. So you know you take them out of their homes and now you're putting them in a new city where there's no soldiers. Well, there's probably soldiers there too. But anywho, so. Louisville's like, no, nah, man, you need to take them shits up to Cincinnati. So Cincinnati, so then they go up to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's like, uh-uh, no, sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> I like how these, these no cities room. are people. We're like, no. We're at capacity with prostitutes. Thank you. So they had no choice but to return back to Nashville. And, and so this, this boat became known as the Floating Whorehouse. <laughs> And it returns back to Nashville. So uh, old Rosie had to revert to plan B. And plan B was to legalize it. Uh, and immediately they started seeing the benefits of it. Prostitutes started registering, had to have medical checkups. STD rates started falling. It was actually, I mean, it, it, soldiers are happy. Okay. Prostitutes are probably happy. Wages probably go up, you know. But. Or, yeah. When did prostitution end then? How long? As soon as the war ended. As soon as the war ended, they cut that shit off. They're like, ah, out. Okay. Because you don't have soldiers either. So, But you still have people with needs. Yeah, but at that time, before that, I think all, it was really just servicing farmers and people coming into the city, which, I mean, I don't know. I guess they were... Got a little change in your coffee can. Yeah. Going to head downtown. Oh, got to run up to the city, get a sack of flour or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. That seems like it would create just as many problems, like having it legalized and then making it illegal after that. Well, I, as far as the army is concerned, they ain't give a shit, I guess. They're just well, like, yeah, yeah. they're like, but the city, the city, I guess the city had some moral things going on. So it just went right back to illegal. How was the army able to legalize it? Um, because they were controlling the city at that point? I is guess that? so. Okay. I, I guess I didn't really get too much into it. My, I got my sources from uh, smithsonian.com and also historychannel.com, <laughs> which the history, the history Channel actually, they have a theory that the prostitutes were actually uh, ancient aliens. So just <laughs> word, word to the wise. Mike. Back to the boat real quick. That boat, they damaged the boat. The prostitutes were unhappy with their conditions and just wrecked the shit out of this boat. So this boat went up to Louisville, Cincinnati, back, and it got back like on its like last leg. And uh, I guess the, the Army had to go out and requisition funds to pay this guy for his boat. I wonder how much that guy got paid to transport prostitutes. Yeah. I mean, you got to think this is probably like six weeks of his life. And did he get paid or did he get paid? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's probably a little both, man. <laughs> Here, we don't have any money to pay you because we're a little short on funds because of this war. But look, take your pick. But here's 1,500 diseased prostitutes <laughs> yeah. to take your pick from. He rolls back into Nashville. He's like, get, take them back. Deal is off. He rolls back into Nashville. It's like, hey, anybody got a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that is my story on uh, Nashville being the first city in the States to legalize prostitution and their brief, uh, brief dance with that. And that is an amazing, amazing something to find out about Nashville. It, yeah. Um, just a, a tidbit in the drop of history of this city. Um, yeah. That, and another little quick fact, uh, fun fact, or something I'd always heard. I, I didn't do any research on it, but something I always heard is that um, the reason they're called hookers is from another Civil War general who who brought in hookers to keep his soldiers like satisfied so they became known as hookers from uh from a general Civil gotcha. War general well that's pretty cool um yeah. i guess yeah <laughs> i mean yeah um so what i want to get into today is and we're going to go in a timeline chronological order um so that was what about mid 1800s when this was going on yeah late late 1800s 1860s so the next uh fact about nashville that we're gonna unearth is uh happened in the early 1900s and it heavily involves uh, prohibition so most of you out there if you don't know if you've been hiding under a rock or you know you just don't care about alcohol one way or another should know at least the history of the fact that something called prohibition existed right it's where you know we banned the uh, legal, I guess we're going to go into another illegal topic here, but we banned the legal sale, uh, possession, uh, and consumption of alcohol. From 1919 to uh, 1932, it was 13 years of prohibition. It was Dang. national prohibition. I didn't know it was that long. That seems like a really long time. It, yeah. 13 years seems like a very long time. Um, but let me tell you something that's going to blow your mind even more. Uh, the state of Tennessee, and more specifically the city of Nashville, was in prohibition for 29 years. Um, <laughs> and that's what I want to get into today. In fact, uh, before I go into the story, we were the first sit, uh, state as the state of Tennessee to try to push uh, the ban of alcohol in 18, I think it was 1818 or 1822. Um, with the temperance movement. 
so it was a big religious, you know, uh, movement that, you know, they, they banned alcohol because why? There were three, basically three reasons. One, it made you lazy. Two, it made you late to work or not show up to work. And three, it made you beat your wife. I've only been late to work like five times drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've never beat my wife. Okay. So just, those those were the three things that the people who were for the temperance movement thought that alcohol did to you. It was more prevalent in the rural counties because, you know, they're out in the country. They're not necessarily as entwined in city life. They don't understand the effects of alcohol other than what they see in their own house. Okay. So this fails. Um, you know, everybody's like, no, we like to drink. Um, up until it's like resurged in the early 1900s, more specifically uh, during a governor's race in 1907 and 1908. Um, there were two guys running for governor in during those years. One was named Edward Carmack, who still has a statue outside of the Tennessee State Capitol to this day. And the other guy was Malcolm Patterson. And Edward Carmack was kind of from this area. I think he was born in Sumner County. Uh, Malcolm Patterson was from like it's East not Tennessee. From Nashville, though. <laughs> that's, that's not Nashville. But he has a statue here. So Malcolm Patterson was actually from East Tennessee, I think around the Knoxville area. And they are running for governor. And it turns into this temperance resurgence uh, where this entire race is about alcohol, right? Hinged on this one topic. Completely hinged on one, yeah, one, you know, people run behind what? Uh, better schools, better health care, you know, today's times, they, you know, tax global the warming. 1%, global yeah. warming, all of this stuff. Back then, it was specifically alcohol, alcohol. Um, okay. in 1907 and 1908. And Malcolm Patterson was actually for alcohol, and Edward Carmack took the opposite stance on it. Gotcha. Because, I mean, really, you had to go one way or another, sure. or, you know, you had to, you know, grab your voters and go after this uh, election. Yeah. Edward Carmack kind of went out into the, again, rural counties where people were against alcohol. Um, you know, they were teetoters and, and very Christian people. Uh, they had their lives out there. And Malcolm Patterson kind of, you know, targeted the cities, Nashville, Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville, um, because, you know, those statistically are the more loose areas of a state. Well, I sure. Guess. They, um, they have bars there. They so, do. They yeah. have, a, you know, a lot of bars. So, this race is going on, um, bef- uh, and ends up in nineteen oh, like uh, October of nineteen oh eight. Uh, Malcolm Patterson wins, so he wins this massive election. You know, I, I, was, I was about to say weed is legal again. But no, alcohol <laughs> remains. Uh, alcohol remains prevalent. We can still drink it. We can still go and purchase it. We can still possess it, and everybody's so excited, right? Except. Edward Carmack. So Mm. prior to running for election, Edward Carmack was known as an editor in chief for like a Memphis newspaper and originally a Nashville newspaper before he moved to Memphis. Uh, When he moved back to Nashville to run for governor, he didn't have any other work other than run for governor. So when he lost that race, he went uh, back to a newspaper that he actually helped start, which was the Nashville Tennessean. We know this today as the Tennessean, you know, it is our state newspaper. So he goes back and retains his role as editor-in-chief of the Nashville Tennessean when he loses this election. The issue is he's salty. He is real pissed because he invested a lot into this election. So he 
goes to the, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and he starts putting out newspapers. He's the editor-in-chief. He can put whatever he wants in these newspapers. Damn. All he does is bash anybody who voted for Malcolm Patterson. More specifically, this guy named Duncan Cooper. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm only going to bring in one more name into this story, but no, Duncan Cooper had deep pockets, right? Mm-hmm. And he was heavily into the alcohol uh, industry. Okay. So he needed alcohol to win because that is how he made his money, and he had very deep pockets. So he heavily funded Malcolm Patterson's um, campaign. campaign. Okay. And he actually used to be friends with Edward Carmack like way back in the day. When Carmack probably drank yeah when carmack drank (laughs) in college with uh tweaky and pip and (laughs) whatever whatever their names are yeah exactly um so anyway he goes back to the newspaper he starts putting out these papers that are just bashing malcolm patterson who is the newly elected you know governor uh, or governor-elect, he bashes Duncan Cooper, who was the deep-pocketed guy who backed Malcolm Patterson. And Duncan Cooper was pissed about this. Well, sure. You know, he was like, you used to be my friend. You, now you're I using you your publication to bash stands, me. Carmack, yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, we used to be cool. But now you're bashing me, and you're bashing anybody who voted on my side, and you're bashing alcohol, and you're putting these papers out daily. And one, I read one thing that said they he put them out twice a day sometimes because he was so mad and had so much content uh, about alcohol and how bad it was for you. Wow. He would put out like these cartoon uh, pictures of men beating their wives, or you know people robbing people at gunpoint, people you know getting bashed. It was very graphic stuff. So. One day, um, Edward Carmack decides he's hungry, and he's sitting at the the Nashville Tennessean. So he goes out, and everybody has guns back then, apparently. Sure. Um, So he goes out to get a sandwich, and he doesn't think anything of it. He's walking across the street, and who does he see? Duncan Cooper and his son, Robin. And they were just walking down the street. So Edward Carmack immediately thinks that this is like an ambush, and he starts looking around. And then he notices that Duncan and his son Robin are walking towards him. So he pulls out a gun and shoots at him with no words said. This is where? I'm sorry, downtown Nashville? It is. It is actually on the corner of 7th and Union, um, where the Sheraton Grand Hotel sits right now. There's also like a little outdoor hotel right there and then an office building behind it, which was the home of the original Nashville Tennessean. Hmm. Um, So if you're ever down on 7th and Union, very close to War Memorial, um, this is where all all this went down. So he pulls out a gun and he shoots. He misses Duncan Cooper, but hits his son Robin in the shoulder, right? Okay. Not a very good shot. Robin, who just got shot, pulls out a gun of his own and shoots back and hits Edward Carmack directly between the eyes and lays him out in the middle of 7th Avenue. Um, People scream. They run. Obviously, this is going down, and then it's a ghost town, right? Fast forward a couple days later. The... Nashville, Tennessean puts out this one specific newspaper that basically makes Edward Carmack a martyr for alcohol. I don't know the exact headlines, but it was something like, look what you did. I mean, and just going after uh, everybody who voted for Malcolm Patterson, who still retained his Governorship. governorship, but everybody's saying, look what you did. Alcohol caused this, you know, we had some, we had a savior that was going to take care of the state of Tennessee and you've ruined it. Now he's dead. You did this. 
literally a day later, a vote comes to the state of Tennessee. For timeline purposes, Patterson wins in October. Uh, Carmack dies November 8th, 1908. Vote happens two weeks later with mid-November, right before Thanksgiving. It is decided that alcohol is officially banned in the state of Tennessee, and all distillers and people who make, sell, or uh, you know, consume. consume alcohol have up until... December 31st, 1908, to get everything out of their system. So one month later, as of January 1st, 1909, Prohibition officially is enacted in the state of Tennessee 10 years before National Prohibition, all because of one incident, one gunshot that happened on the corner of 7th and Union. Can can you imagine if January 1st, 1909 was your 21st birthday? Yeah. I don't know. I think back then you could be like 16. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. Jack Daniels started a distillery when he was eight years old or whatever. I don't think there was much of a drinking age. If there. it was your eighth birthday. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I would have been devastated. But it's insane. And it took 10 years to enact national prohibition. We were the first state to do it. We were the last state to come out of it in 1939. <laughs> so 1909 to 1939. That is what, uh, 30 years? 30 years we were in Prohibition when Nashville was 13? That must have been when downtown Nashville and Broadway and all that had the furniture district. <laughs> had to, it's had, it was like, man, what are we going to do with all these bars and honky-tonks, man? Well, I don't know. Put furniture in them, I guess. So yeah, let me ask you a question real quick. And this is just because I'm a little bit ignorant about Prohibition. Did it start like a domino type effect? Or was it just like Tennessee alone, and then all of a sudden in 1919, everybody else went into Prohibition? No, I mean, I think it was a domino effect, because initially, all of the distilleries, which at that time, there were 200 distilleries in the state of Tennessee, um, and Jack Daniels wasn't even close to being the biggest one. I think at that time, like Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, which you can still find a kind of a remnant of in Marathon Village here in Nashville, was the biggest distillery in Tennessee. Um Mm-hmm. But those distilleries moved to like Alabama and one moved to Kentucky and then Alabama, you know, prohibition happened there. And then that distillery moved to St. Louis and then pro, I mean, it just kept following States Gotcha. and they were spending a lot of money. And I think, you know, to this day, people still call us the buckle of the Bible belt because the South was kind of the first, uh, grouping or region to, to enact prohibition as Oof. it moved forward. So, yeah. Uh, still to this day, we're the buckle of the Bible belt for a couple of reasons. That could happen to be one of them, but we have like more churches per capita, you know, than any other state in the that. South, um, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, thank God that the temperance people failed 100 years before that. So at least they had 100 years uh, before all this went down. Okay. And thank God we never had to live in this time. Yeah. Man, well, we just had to speak easy, I guess. But could you imagine Trump coming on TV November 8th, 2019, and saying, hey, I've officially banned alcohol January 1st, 2020? Well, you know he's a teetotaler. Yeah, I could I could kind of imagine that, I think. He yeah. drinks a lot of Diet Coke, right? Oh. So first city to... Uh, first city to legalize prostitution. First mm-hmm. city to enact prohibition. Yep. And now we're up into the sixties if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we are the first city to um trying to think of a way to tie this in with that. I don't know if I can, but um we're one of the first cities where Jimi Hendrix played music professionally. Let me say that. Hell okay. Yeah. 
One of the first. I, I think like that's kind of unverified, but you wouldn't think that for being from you know the country music capital of the world, right? Right. Exactly. And I, I think like I don't know about you guys. Like I was a, I'm a moderate Jimi Hendrix fan. You know, like I went through the phase like everybody does when they're like in high school. You know, sure. you got that Jimi Hendrix poster. You get that Our Experience CD. Yeah. You discover that song Machine Gun that's like 12 minutes long, and you're like, Oh my God, this is the best song ever. This then, sounds like me right now at my house. Okay. Well, okay. Sometimes <laughs> people do that later in life then. Are you experienced? Well, you're right. It was like one of my first CDs. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know about you guys. I didn't really know much about the history of Jimi Hendrix. Like I knew that he kind of, you know, he got the extent of my knowledge was like somebody from the band, the animals, which was from England discovered him in New York city Mm-hmm. Had him record Hey Joe, I think, was like one of those people produced that track, which just blew up. And then he went to London, lived there for a while, toured around Europe, got really big, then came back here and was just like, you know, did the Woodstock thing, then died. And he's part of the what? The Is it the 26 Club? 27. Yeah. 27 Club? Yeah. I knew that. I thought he, I thought he played a lot of blues. Uh, well, that's the thing. Early in life. Okay, so early in life. Um, when he was about, I guess when he was 18, it's still, you know, the dates on some of the stuff I was reading several varying accounts, but he's 18. He's lives in, he's from Seattle, Washington, he lives in Seattle. He just ups and joins the army because he's like, I know I'm going to have to do it. Like the Vietnam war was kind of heating up then or starting to like, you know, become something. So he's like, I want to go ahead and get this army service out of the way. He's like, I don't want to be one of these. I want to be a professional musician. I don't want to be one of these professional musicians that gets called into army duty after they've already like got a career going because they're, you know, required to do it. Like Elvis. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, so anyway, he got into the military, like in around 1961, he's 18 years old. He's shipped to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is not too far away from here. And he, he's there for a while. He's in the 101st airborne. He's digging it. You know, he's writing letters to home. Like, this is where I want to be, but I wish I had my guitar here. Cause really, you know, I, be playing music is his number one passion. Sure. But number two, he had a very strong uh, military background, so that was number two for him. Anyway, he's in the military for a year. Things are going okay. He's not loving it, um, and he has an ankle injury, which he somehow – this is one of the stories they said. He just told the Army that he actually also hurt his back, and they were like, okay, well, you can be discharged from the Army now. <laughs> Which was lucky for him because this is in sure. like 1962, and this is right before there's like a giant ramp up of troops going into Vietnam. So mm-hmm. he somehow missed that whole thing. Damn. So anyway, in the army, gets discharged. He meets a guy in the army named Billy Cox, who ends up be- playing bass with him. They go down to Clarksville. They start a band called the uh, they start a band called the Kings Casuals. Them too, and they're playing around Clarksville, some clubs up there, and they're playing down in Nashville, and they're doing some kind of circuit where they're playing, you know. Murfreesboro, or I'm sorry, Nashville. <laughs> They're playing from Nashville to Nashville to Nashville to Nashville. Yeah. According to everybody that lives here. Sorry. No, but anyway, they're playing from like clubs from like Tullahoma, um, Murfreesboro, just all in like this central Tennessee, middle Tennessee area. Dang. So he does that for about a year and he's like, gets a few like studio studio gigs here and there but basically he almost gets fired from every single studio gig because he's so like because he's so out there and kind of experimental with his style like he was already developing the Jimi hendrix style that we knew way back then you know mm-hmm. he's going <clears throat> he's playing in clubs with his buddy they um they were the house band for a 
pretty famous club apparently called the Del Monaco that was down on Jefferson Street, which there is a whole nother thing. Like, I feel like we could do a whole nother podcast just about the history of Jefferson Street because this led me like the Jimi Hendrix stuff is interesting, but there is so much more culture and music that has come out of Jefferson Street hmm. than just Jimi Hendrix one year there. So. Future cast. I'm totally down to do that. Right. And, and it's it's tragic, too. I feel like it was, you know shut down by white people basically sure um anyway so he's playing in this band um he's trying to get studio gigs he's not really loving it this whole time he was he had to be convinced by billy cox to even come to nashville he was wanting to go to la or new york or something like that where he could you know yeah you know a bigger city basically at the time even though nashville was still booming it was a bigger city in the 60s than some of these other cities but it still wasn't New York or LA, especially for the type of music that he was wanting to play. Yeah. So anyway, he gets here, he's here for about a year and he really like was interviewed later on later in life. And he really credits his time in Nashville as being the time that he really learned how to play guitar. I think it was because like, you know, the legend is, and who knows if this is true or not, but he like literally, he's one of those people that like literally carried his guitar everywhere with him, like home, work, anywhere. He was like, anytime he had an extra bit of free time, he was picking up his guitar and playing it. He would go to all these other clubs and see these other musicians about town and try just like, you know, being like a sponge trying to pick up stuff from him. There was a guy, gosh, I, I didn't write down his name. I can't remember what it was, but there was another guitar, a pretty famous guitar player from Memphis who he just like kind of tried to emulate and they had, you know, this dude was like doing crazy guitar solos and all this stuff before, before Jimi Hendrix was doing it. Hmm. So Jimi Hendrix tried to emulate it and, you know, got lessons from him and just basically kind of honed his sound here in town. So anyway, he lived here for about a year. Then he like get, you know, gets, I guess a break. He goes on tour with uh, the Isley brothers for a little while, which he, ends up you know he tours the southeast with them for a while they have a stop back here in nashville and he just abruptly quits and his reasoning is this shit is boring i hate playing this music (laughs) damn so then he gets on with um little richard and he's touring around little richard for a while like that's in eventually how he gets back out out to la is like you know he gets on a tour with little richard going from southeast all the way out to the west or whatever he's on tour with little richard for like six months the last five weeks he's allegedly not paid for because his shirts that he were wearing were too flashy and little richard didn't like it what <laughs> too flashy for too little flashy little, yeah exactly and Man. so are you saying that Jimi hendrix potentially gave little richard his style because well i think or, was, a, or was he out flashing little was, richard? I, I, well i think it was just a different type of flash like think how Jimi hendrix kind of the direction he went and little Richard was like flashy, but it was a different type of flashy, you know, right. like leather suit, like whatever. I don't know what you want to call, describe that as, but it's just a different style of flashy than Jimmy. Yeah. Like, so, yo man, your blouse looks better. Than I mine, think man. little Richard was getting jelly. I mean, like. maybe. And the, the other, the underlying thing for all of this is like his guitar player was just like, or his guitar playing was flashy in and of itself. Sure. You know, he's this whole time he's developing his own guitar playing style. He's develop, developing his own music style, and it's just clashing with like what what these other people Good were trying golly, to do. Miss Molly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, man, exactly. So anyway, I can see Jimi Hendrix like just creating that that line and Little Richard taking it. Good golly, Miss Mop. No, no, I wait. think it's probably no. <laughs> you need to work on that. But I think I, I, anyway, go ahead. Well, yeah. So anyway, 
he does that for a little while, then he quits that tour. Um, and he seems to just keep like coming back to Nashville for different reasons, like whether it's not a, a playing with another band or just something. He just keeps popping back up in town. Um, one of the first, one of his first video or televised video appearances was actually on, I think it was WSM. Yeah. 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 Oh, that, was, that was in 1965. No, it, I'm sorry. It was on WLAC Channel 5. Mm. Um, and he was the backing band of some group called Buddy and Stacy. And it was on a show called Night Train, which apparently was a pretty famous show back then. Damn, Night Train. We should bring that back. So, yeah. Anyway, and that's some of the earliest footage. I'm going to try I've tried to find some of that online. I didn't have a great success at it. So, I, mean, I don't know. I'll keep digging and see if I can find something. We can put it on our Instagram or whatever. So you Damn. can't you can't tell me that uh, Jack White and the Black Keys and uh, Kesha and all of these people who uh, have turned Nashville from country music capital of the world to just Music City, USA. I think Hendrix is probably the trailblazer of all this. Certainly. Well, maybe. I mean, him and some other. I mean. He didn't lay the groundwork. There's a podcast out there put out by our local NPR station called Curious Nashville that does kind of like, you know, Nashville, slightly unheard of Nashville stories. And this was one of them that they did. And they were saying that like playing the Jefferson Street circuit could get you about $100 a week, like at least for Little Richard. And this was before Little Richard was even famous. And $100 a week was like $1,000 a week now. So, I mean, people can make a good living at these like supper clubs and stuff that were on Jefferson Street because it was... It was booming down there. This is before the interstate was there. That's the other thing. Like all these, I was looking it up trying to figure out where these clubs were on Jefferson Street. They were all bulldozed in the late 60s to make way for Interstate 40. Dang. And, and I like, know exactly where that is. It's like at the top of the hill up on Jefferson. Yeah. There's there's actually a mural painted on the side of I-40 or somewhere right over there now. It's like Jimi Hendrix, um, maybe Little Richard. There's a few other people. I can't remember exactly who's over there, who's on it. But it's kind of like, you know, an homage to that to that area. And that was another big thing. You know, like I said, we can if we ever do a Jefferson Street podcast, it seemed like the interstate was intentionally put through there to just wreck that African American community. You know, they were they were having like civil rights were already like stirring stuff up and like th- that's a whole nother thing. You know, they're like peaceful protests are turning into like violent protests Clash. and violent clashes and stuff like that. And who's there's yeah. so much behind that too. Those a lot of those times are those are those riots are started by somebody else to make another peaceful, more peaceful group look bad and stuff like that. So there's so much just crazy history in that area. I forgot where I was going with this besides just bashing we should, white people. We should, we should check that out. We should check that cast out. Maybe we could, uh, we could get that lady you were talking to. Um, yeah. And then there, maybe, uh, oh, go ahead. There, there is a, a, a tour company out there called United Street Tours. And uh, there's this uh, lady named Chiquita, like the banana. And if you ever meet her, she will say that. Chiquita Patterson. Um, and she runs like these street tours on the African-American history, uh, specifically focused to Jefferson Street. No and kidding. Yeah, I know sure. we've, we've talked about, you know, taking Raising Nashville podcast on the road for another field trip and going on one of her tours. Um, because you actually bring up a good point. I would love to talk about Jefferson Street, and I would love to just go down a rabbit hole on that as opposed to conspiracies. It's so interesting, and I feel like, I mean, I feel like not a lot of people know about it. I mean, people that are from here, people that are transplants, they just, it's been buried. And that's where Hot Chicken started, right, old boy? Yeah. With uh, Jimmy <clears throat> Jimmy Church. Jimmy Church. Or, uh, 
was that it? Jimmy Prince. Jimmy Prince. Jimmy Prince. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. I was. I was like that. Wait a minute. Something that doesn't sound right. So I really enjoyed kind of uh, bringing up a few things that you know you might not know about Nashville. I think that the title of this week's episode is just simply "The More You Know." Um, because dun, 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 dun. there you go with the little start. The more you know, um, because I did not know that Nashville was the first city ever to legalize prostitution because of one gunfight. We were the first city to ever enact prohibition, and uh, Jimi Hendrix's early years, I mean, spent in Nashville, really creating that Music City USA. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously somebody getting shot in the face is terrible. <laughs> sure. But I feel like there's, I mean, some people got stabbed out of side of a bar over there in um, Midtown, like. A few weeks ago, you think I, that's going to start something? Uh, like well, some I, butterfly I, just, I don't know. I don't know. I guess. I guess my point is just like there's are there's so much terrible stuff that's related to alcohol. There's no way they're ever going to do prohibition again. They would have already done it. Sure, yeah, that's true. Plus, there's too much money load into it now. Oh, like yeah. these giant corporations would never allow for prohibition to be. Yeah, NFL games would be. <laughs> but they're already. <laughs> I mean, shut down Broadway. What What do you got on Broadway if there's no drinking down no there? No kidding, man. Um. I just sitting around listening to music. It'll be all ages. Uh, yeah, okay. Maybe we should get alcohol out of downtown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we get have, too bad, it'd man. be fun down there again. <laughs> Bring You're the whole family. You're selling me on this. Yeah. Um, before we get out of here this week, I wanted to know, uh, do we have any updates for the podcast? Now that we're in 2020, I know we haven't really done updates. But from what I saw... I think Old Boy sent me a article about an old friend of the podcast, Dr. Hay. Dr. Hay uh, got three years in prison for genetically splicing that baby we talked about on episode two. I have one more update. I, I ran by your house. You still had those uh, inflatable Christmas guys out sitting in the yard. <laughs> Okay, that is for my family. Damn, they, and they, this late in January? I mean, it's been ready to be February. Yeah. You've already got those things out, or you still got those things out? They enjoy yeah. seeing it. I, I look at it as, as winter lights and not Christmas lights. Are you going to become one of those people that just finds a reason for every single holiday to put up lights and inflatables? No, but yeah. that's a good idea. Um, I thought about <laughs> Thought about Halloween, like extending to Halloween, maybe uh, with some strobes and some Christmases and some strobes. I feel Christmas like that's something that just happened in the past ten to fifteen years as people started putting out Christmas or lights on Halloween. Because before it was just pumpkins; you just put your pumpkin outside. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. true. But now um, purple lights exist. So you got to like, attract yeah. people to look at look at my house. I mean, that's what this whole thing is. See, that's the opposite. I mean, I put Christmas lights on my house this year, but I don't want anybody to look at my house. Look I look away from it, my I house. I look at it every time I drive by. Well, fuck off. Stop looking at my house. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Raising Nashville Podcast. Uh, as always, uh, wherever you get your podcast, please take a brief moment to like us, rate us, uh, leave us a note. Go on our socials at Raising Nashville Podcast, or you know where to find us. Um, we enjoy doing this every week, and we will see you again next week. Yep. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy listening. If you don't have children, have one. Have one. Catch up. Yeah. We want you to know what we go through. Yeah. The fear. If you can just get your mind together. Uh, then come on across to me We'll hold hands
eyes and then we'll watch the sunrise from the bottom of the sea but first are you experienced oh, 